you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, beginning in verses 13 through 18, the title of the sermon this morning is Wisdom for Living. Wisdom for Living. And let me just say, to begin with this morning, that I have nothing new under the sun to just give to you guys for wisdom, okay? <laughs> but what I hope that we will see as we walk through this passage this morning is just how James portrays God's divine wisdom and how we as believers are to, uh, to see, um, to understand, to look into God's word and to uh, know his wisdom by knowing him. So if you have found your place this morning in James chapter 3, say amen. All right, follow as I read, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where, jealous and self, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we have sung um, for your glory and we have united our voices together to proclaim your worth. And now, Lord, we pray that you would unite our hearts together around the testimony of your word, around the truth of scripture. And we pray, Lord, that you would illumine our minds to understand and our, uh, our, our hearts to love Illumine our eyes, Father, to see the wonderful truth laid before us in your word. Thank you, Father, for your word. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning so that you might be glorified and exalted. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when you think about wisdom, what's the first word that comes to your mind? I know this is awkward, but just shout something out. Solomon. Okay, there's one. Anybody else? Doesn't have to be a biblical answer. If something else. Experience. Okay. Anything else? Mr. Al. All right. There you go. <laughs> Knowledge. Age. All right. There we go. Anything else? Yeah, you know, I went to, I was kind of thinking age as well, and so I went to the boardroom this morning, the Sunday school class of our older men, and I asked them, I told them I was preaching on wisdom this morning, I asked them to impart some wisdom to me. I even told them I'd pay them if they would just give me some wisdom. They said, you're, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, these are all thoughts that come to our minds. I think we can all safely say that these these words that were kind of shouted out, they, uh, they are words that come to mind when we think about wisdom. Who has wisdom? 
Scripture is full of texts that point us to wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And Scripture is full of even giving us, even in Proverbs, the, the personification of wisdom and showing us the difference between wisdom and folly and, and the righteous woman and the adulterous woman. As we walk through Scripture, we see wisdom as portrayed that which comes from God. And so if biblically, if we take a biblical approach to understand wisdom, then we must start with God's Word, His revelation of Himself to us. Perhaps there's no greater passage that really packs it all together than Job 28 in the Old Testament. But you know, one of the one of the things we talked about and, and I alluded to was that wisdom comes from age. And I, I just want to make a uh, kind of a disclaimer this morning that it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to automatically think, well, wisdom, age, older person, experience in life, all of, uh, all of these, uh, these thoughts that kind of come along with walking through life and having a lot of experiences. But I, I think what James shows us this morning is something that's, uh, that's quite different, something that's not necessarily connected to age, though it, it certainly can be just by duration of our growth and maturity in Christ. But I think it has more to do with, uh, with, with, with living in Christ and walking with Christ. Wisdom having more to do with following God and, and, and walking according to His leading in our lives. Many definitions really have been put forward regarding wisdom and even many assertion, assertions have been made regarding how a person might obtain or attain wisdom. But this morning I hope that we can see from James chapter 3, I hope that we can see wisdom is not just for those who are older. Wisdom is not just for those who have been Christians for a long time. Wisdom is more than that. Wisdom has to do with the conduct of one's life. Wisdom certainly has to do with the tongue, but it has to do with more than just the tongue. It, it has to do with how a person lives their life. It has to do with the way that we interact with others. It has to do with uh, the places we go, perhaps, the people we see, how we treat others. J.I. Packer in Knowing God says this, he says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. You see, wisdom's not necessarily about having all the answers to the questions of life, right? It's not about having all the knowledge that was spoken of a moment ago. Wisdom is not necessarily about knowing the right answer to give in the midst of, of the trials of life. When we experience heartache or pain, when we walk through a, a difficult time in our marriage, wisdom is not necessarily having all the answers. When, 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 when life comes and tough times come, when you don't know how to respond as a parent to something that your child has done or maybe a problem that your child finds him or herself in, Wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that we have all the answers. But if we desire wisdom, I think these things must be a part of our characterization of our life. And one is that we would, if we desire wisdom, we must seek God faithfully first. Secondly, we must submit to God entirely 
And third, we must live for God obediently. We must first seek God faithfully, submit to God entirely, and live for God obediently. Just unpack those just quickly for a moment. If, if we desire wisdom, then we must seek God faithfully. What does this really mean? Well, it means that you and I would spend time seeking to know the Lord, which comes through what? His revelation of Himself to us through His Word. We would spend time in reading and studying His Word. Just a practical question. Do we spend as much time reading God's Word as we do hearing or reading the newspaper, hearing the news, you know? How much time are we really spending in trying to get to know and or to know God, to know of His ways, to learn of Him and to, to read and to, to study, to meditate upon His Word? If we desire wisdom, then we must first seek God faithfully. It must be the continual process of our life that we would grow in wisdom and stature of God's word, that we would meditate upon his word, that we would seek to commit his word to memory, that we might hide his word in our hearts so that we would not, what? Sin against him. But not only should we seek God faithfully, we would submit to God entirely. How do we submit to God's way, God's direction, God's leading in our life, if we don't know what his word is commanding us to do? See, it's a natural progression of knowing God's word. And once we know God's word, then we seek to walk and submit our lives entirely to him. He becomes the one who directs my way. He, he directs my steps. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I know God's will and his direction in my life because I spend time meditating upon his word. I spend time committing his word to memory. I spend time studying the word of God. This would be our heart, right? This would be our cry that because we do this, we would know God's will and direction in our life. We would then be able to discern by His Spirit how we would be better parents, right? How we would be better spouses. How we could learn to love and to serve one another. So we would know God. We would seek God. We would seek God faithfully. We would submit to God entirely. And we must live for God obediently, which really kind of ties in with submitting to God entirely, doesn't it? So if we are spending time to know His Word and we are submitting our lives to His Word, then it becomes a great joy in our life, even though sometimes it's difficult. It becomes a great joy in our life, right, to be obedient to God, to walk in obedience to His Word. And hey, as a believer in Christ, as a Christian, this is where we find our joy full and complete. It's when we're walking in obedience to God's word, is it not? It's when we're hearing the word of God into our lives. We are, we're seeing that this is a command of God and this is what he expects of me. This is how I ought to be living and patterning my life. And if that be the case in your life and in my life, and then what would, if we respond in obedience to him, then what happens? We, our joy is full in Christ. We... Walk by His Spirit, right? We follow Him. We, we seek Him. And so if we desire wisdom, hear this out, then we must seek God faithfully. We must submit to God entirely. And we must live for God obediently. Now notice we haven't said very much yet about the tongue, right? That was last week, the tongue. The tongue gets us in all sorts of danger because that's where we spew out those things that really get us in trouble oftentimes, especially, especially in our marriages, right? 
are maybe in, in our work situations or in, in those situations, interpersonal relationships with, with other people where we say things that are hurting, that hurt, that demean, that cut. But we haven't yet said anything about our speech. Wisdom certainly is reflected through our speech, through what we say, but wisdom has as much, if not more, to do with a person's lifestyle and conduct than with his or her speech. And I think that's what James is showing us here this morning. He, he has just spoken about the tongue. He has spoken at length about the tongue in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. That whole section is about what we say, how we guard our lips and our mouths. But he goes on beyond the tongue to speak about our lifestyle, the action, how we put this faith, this so-called faith, into practice. And for that, the answer to question, uh, the question that's posed in chapter 3, verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The question is implicit. If no one can tame the tongue, then what am I to do, right? Am I without hope? The answer comes in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So now in verse 14 or verse 13, he turns, he turns the focus from the, the problem to the tongue to the solution to the problem. Earlier in James, he says we must be quick to hear, right? Slow to speak and slow to anger. Right, but quick to hear. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is really the conduct of wisdom. And I think he points that out to us in verse 13. The conduct of wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness or the meekness of wisdom. You know, he begins with a question who among you is wise and understanding? As if there are some among the people of God there in the church that he's writing to. There are some who are wise and understanding. There are some who, who are wise and some who have understanding. And he's speaking to those and he's saying, those who are wise and understanding, let them show by their conduct, by, by their lifestyle. That's what he means there. In fact, I, I just wanted to... Just take a moment to flip over to Job. I referenced it a moment ago. Job chapter 28. And if you want to turn there, you certainly can. Job chapter 28. In verses 1 through 11, he really kind of highlights the, um, the achievements there of man and all this that man has done. He, he dams up the streams in verse 11 from flowing. And what is hidden, he brings out to the light. Just speaking of what man has accomplished. But then in verse 12, he asks this question. Job 28, 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. In precious onyx or sapphire, gold or glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is far above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it. Nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all the living. And concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say... 
With our ears, we have heard a report of it. God understands its way, and he knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and, and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You see, even here, in Job, this wisdom is matched with action. To depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom is matched by the things that a person does, he or she, the the lifestyle, the conduct of one's life speaks to wisdom, speaks to the wisdom of God. And what James is is telling us here is the conduct of wisdom. It, it, It matters. Wisdom for living, it comes from God. And how God's word impacts our lives matters. Who among you, he says, is wise and understanding, let him show by his good deeds, that is, his or her lifestyle, the practice of one's life, let him show by her good deeds. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, this is really not a, a concept that's just secluded in James. I, I want to show you in First Peter 2, 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And in Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, it is the Christian's responsibility in life to walk according to God's command, to live in such a way where we seek to honor and to glorify God, that our conduct would matter. And James is really trying to highlight for us that this wisdom, if if anyone is wise and understanding, let him show by his good behavior something that might not be evident in our English text is that that phrase, let him show. It's It's a command there. It's commanding language here he's commanding this if a person is wise and understanding then this let him show it this way by his good deeds and his meekness of wisdom his gentleness of wisdom this meekness of wisdom it's really a virtue that comes along with wisdom meekness is a virtue that accompanies wisdom that shouldn't surprise us though should it Lord Jesus calls us to walk in meekness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This meekness is a, it's the calling of a Christian life. We are called to be a people who are meek, who are gentle with one another. Meekness, don't hear me say that meekness is weakness. It's not weakness. Meekness, though, is gentle. It is a gentle spirit. A.W. Tozer says this, he, he once wrote, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is 
as weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows that at the same time, he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. You see, when wisdom is gained in the life of the believer, meekness is a virtue that will accompany this wisdom that God is giving to his people. The familiar proverb in Proverb 11:2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. But with the humble is wisdom. You see, part of wisdom, a virtue of wisdom is meekness. It is humility in one's life. Wisdom then is not not only what we say, it begins there, but remembering that the tongue has the power to direct our whole body as we saw last week. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond what we say to how we live, how we interact, how we conduct our lives. Because how we live our daily lives says as much about who we are as our words. And so the exhortation that, we would, that I would give here this morning is that young and old alike... It's not about age that brings wisdom into one's life, but it's about how we are walking in obedience to God, how we are living our life in obedience to God. So for the college student, you can walk in wisdom and understanding. For the high school student, you can walk in wisdom and understanding. For the, for the child, you can walk in wisdom and understanding, which means fleshing out the work and the way of God in your life and, and seeking to understand what God is doing and calling you to do and walk in. This is... Walking in wisdom, husband and wife, you can walk in wisdom, in the wisdom of God. We can walk in the wisdom and understanding of God because we seek to know him. We seek to follow his word in our life. That's why James says, let us be not only hearers of the word, right, but doers of the word. You see, walking in wisdom, according to James, involves us knowing God's word and walking in it. Practical application of what God's word is calling us to. I'm sure that this morning across the congregation, we all have thoughts about what God is calling us to do, yet we are struggling with walking in it, aren't we? The wisdom of God, that we would obediently walk in what he is leading us and calling us in. So for parents, for spouses, for Believers, we can walk, you can walk, I can walk in understanding and wisdom and understanding. This is the conduct of wisdom. But James also presents kind of a litmus test for us that we can evaluate our own lives. And I say our own lives because we must evaluate our own lives first. I must first evaluate my own life before I begin to even think about evaluating anybody else. And that is the false way of wisdom. The false way of wisdom, we see it in verses 14 through 16. And there are some hallmarks that James gives us for the false way of wisdom. And the first hallmark that James gives us for the false way of wisdom is that of bitter jealousy. Look at what he says in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's not of God. This is not a a quality of the wisdom of God. 
In fact, look at the difference between verse 13 and verse 14 at the way he opens those verses. Who among you is wise? Or who is wise in understanding among you, as the ESV says? It's a question. It's this leading question. There, there are some there among the people, among the congregation that are wise in understanding. But then look at verse 14. It's almost an accusation. It's hard. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's not at all an entreaty, is it? It's more of an accusation. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This bitter jealousy, it is the word for zeal. We see zeal throughout the New Testament, even throughout the Old Testament, people being zealous for God. But this would be the opposite. This is a harsh zeal. It's a strong emotion that looks at others with contempt. It is really what we think of the word when we think of jealousy today. Bitter jealousy. It's, it's this inward twisting and turning where, where it almost creates an anger. This bitter jealousy, it's not one that looks out for the well-being of others. The story was told <coughs> of a man, two men actually, who lived in a certain city. One was envious and the other was covetous and the ruler of the city sent for them and he, he said he wanted to grant them one wish each that he could do within his power, that he could accomplish within his power. And so with this provisio that that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for, while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. So the envious man began thinking for a moment. He was the one who was going to choose first, and so he found himself in a bit of a quandary. So he wanted to choose something great for himself, but he realized that if he did so, the other man would get twice the greatness that he was going to receive. And so he thought for a while, and then he asked, he said, I want one of my eyes to be put out so that the second man would receive both of his eyes put out. Now, whether or not this story is true, I can't tell you. But what I can say is it speaks to the spirit of what James is saying here with bitter jealousy. In this church, in the life of this person, what James is saying is, Lord, I would rather your work not be done at all if, if I can't be the one doing it. Such was the spirit of the people in the church James is writing to. It was a bitter jealousy. It was a contentious people. This bitter jealousy that was evident in the church, it is not the wisdom of God. It is a false wisdom it's one that would promote self above others, promote self even at the expense of others. But not only is a hallmark of false wisdom bitter jealousy, also it's selfish ambition. And you can figure out selfish ambition. It speaks of a person who has a, a, a partisan spirit. We know much about partisanship these days, especially in the political arena, we see the divisive comments that are being made from one side against the other. We, we know that partisan spirit, right? But understand this, brothers and sisters, partisan spirit has no place among the people of God. 
A partisan spirit has no place in the wisdom of God. This is not the wisdom of God. Bitter jealousy and and selfish ambition, this is not the way of God. This person's attitude seeks to advance their own cause or their own gain. They're ready to do for personal gain only, and it's rare that they even serve others. The reason is because this person doesn't find joy in serving other people. Brothers and sisters, let us check our hearts this morning. Are we, are we the one that doesn't find joy in serving others? Are we the one that needs to, to learn what it's like to walk in the wisdom of God and have joy in serving others, not be about selfish ambition or, or bitter jealousy, but really seeking to serve Others? Well, the false way of wisdom, they're not only all hallmarks that James gives us, but he also shows us the source of this false wisdom. And the source, you see it in verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, it's natural, it's demonic, right? He kind of gives us this distinguishing mark of wisdom. The wisdom of God, he says, is that which comes down from above. But the source of this wisdom, it's not that which comes down from above. In fact, notice the ascending element of depravity or the descending element that's laid out here in verse 14. Or verse 15. The wisdom, this wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly. It is unspiritual or natural. The word is literally unspiritual. And it is demonic. That earthly meaning it's inferior to that which, uh, that which is heavenly. It denies heavenly inspiration. This wisdom denies heavenly inspiration. Not only is it earthly, it's also unspiritual. That is, it does not come from the Spirit of God. It, this wisdom that promotes bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it does not come from the Spirit of God. This wisdom is unspiritual. It could speak of a person who may be morally good or even intellectual and even knowledgeable, but the source of their wisdom is not from God. It is a wisdom that ultimately is unspiritual, but He takes it one step farther than just saying that it's not heavenly and it's not of the Spirit of God. This wisdom, it is demonic, he says. It's demonic. It's a one-time occurrence of this word in the New Testament. It means that which is inspired and influenced by demons, by Satan. The characteristics of this wisdom, they are bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It is divisive in nature. It's manipulative. And this person is caught up in seeking their own gain. Yet all the while, they miss the point and miss the mark that this is not wisdom that comes from God. Instead, it is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. Now, remember I said that we must first do an investigation within our own hearts and our own lives, right? Before we even begin to look at any others, we must first look at ourselves. We must first evaluate and investigate within our own hearts and in our own lives whether this wisdom that we espouse, this way that we walk, right? Wisdom being more than just intellect, but the conduct of our life, right? 
this wisdom that we walk in, this conduct of our life? Is it selfish ambition? Are we filled with bitter jealousy? Then we know that this wisdom is that which is not from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In fact, to the point that we jump back to verse 14 and it says, do not, be, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. That we might even would sit here and lie to ourselves against the truth of Scripture that would confront us in our sin and in our false wisdom. Brothers and sisters, this morning let us be careful to confess. Confess our hearts before God. He knows it anyway. Let us not be those who find ourselves lying against the truth in an arrogant way but that we would submit our lives and our our hearts, our ways, everything about us to the Lord. We see the hallmarks of false wisdom, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, the source of false wisdom. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's, it's demonic, but we also see the results of false wisdom. And look at the results there in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing, literally every evil practice, every evil thing, it's disorder in everything evil. Disorder, this word disorder, it, 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 it means unstable. In fact, he uses it, James uses it in chapter 1, verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The same word that's used here for disorder. In chapter 3, verse 8, James uses this word again to speak of a restlessness. Chapter 3, verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. That restlessness, that is this word for disorder. In Luke, chapter 21, verse 9, the Lord Jesus uses it. And when you hear of the wars and tumults, that is this word for disorder, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Or 1 Corinthians 4.33, this word, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That is to say then that this disorder is completely antithetical to the ways of God. For God is a God of peace. He is not a God of confusion. The disorder that we see here, it is a result. It is a result of the false way of wisdom creating disorder in every evil deed. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church of Corinth says, For I fear that, that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful to recognize that this is a possibility that could happen in the church. And let us seek to be on guard against anything that would come in and create disorder within the body. Let us seek to be unified and walk in the wisdom of God. The church of Corinth could fall into it. If the church that James is writing to, if the churches could fall into disorder, we must be careful. We must go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such we incur a stricter judgment, that we guard our teaching Going back to chapter 1, that we would pray for God's wisdom, asking for Him to grant us wisdom, that we would know how to walk through trials that we, we go through, that we know how to walk through every situation and circumstance in life, that we would know His way, you see? 
the false way of wisdom, it seeks to create disorder, disunity. It is antithetical to the ways of God. And so when we are not walking in God's ways, there will be disorder in our lives. And we will bring disorder into the lives of others. You get that? When we are not walking according to the ways of God, there will be disorder. It's one of the hallmarks. It's one of the things that we must see. It's a result of not walking in the ways of God, but walking in the ways of man, that which is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. And then it really begs the question in my life. As I read through James, I begin to realize and recognize that it just seems really to be two poles here. There is the pole of walking in the way and the wisdom of God. And then there seems to be the other pole, which is walking in the way and the wisdom of Satan. That which is earthly, it's not heavenly. That which is unspiritual, not spiritual. That which is demonic, not divine. And so we've got to be very careful, brothers and sisters, that we would walk in the ways of God, understanding that we are to redeem the time, understanding that you and I, we are to, uh, to, to follow and to pursue the ways of God. Because a second result of the false way of wisdom is every evil deed. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil deed. Every evil practice, which really literally practice of every evil deed and it pertains to that which is lower or morally substandard. But the point is that confusion and disorder will inevitably break out in the church where Christians, especially leaders, are more interested in pursuing their own ambition or are pursuing a partisan cause than edifying the body of Christ as a whole. And we would take special note, as one commentator writes, he says, where the hearts of individual Christians are wrong, an unlimited variety of sins will be found. Where the hearts of individual Christians are wrong, an unlimited variety of sins will be found. Every evil thing, every evil deed. We must be careful, brothers and sisters, to walk in the wisdom of God. Wisdom for living then is fleshed out in the conduct and the way that we live and the things that we do and how we obey and walk in, in accordance with God's word. But let us not miss this. James uses wisdom much in the same way that Paul uses the spirit. Now, it's not completely um, synonymous. Galatians 5.22 speaks of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In Galatians 5, he speaks of that which is manifested in our life, this fruit that's manifested in the life of a believer through faithful, consistent living, through walking by the Spirit. James speaks of wisdom in much the same way as that of the Spirit in the life of the believer. The true way of wisdom we see in verses 17 and 18, the true way of wisdom, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, or meek, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And then he says the, the, the harvest of righteousness or the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The ways of God are not disorder, confusion, but 
peace. And we recognize a hallmark of true wisdom as we've already seen it linked in the conduct that we saw in verse 13. But a hallmark of true wisdom is that which is pure. The believer, the Christian, the follower, disciple of Christ is walking in wisdom of God and, and wants to be pure, wants the purity of God in their life, wants the things of God and not those things which are filled with wickedness. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It is not deceiving. It is not full of disorder. Not only is this wisdom pure, it's, it's peaceable. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ. For the presence of Christ is true peace. This wisdom of God is the peace of Christ within you, dwelling in the believer. Gentle, right? The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle. It's non-combative. The wise person doesn't get angry even when under provocation, but controls and subdues the anger, is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's a man who found out that he was slandered by another who he thought was a close friend. But when confronted with the words of his slanderer, he refused to retaliate and speak in a way that would return slander for slander. Instead, he gently began to defend his slanderer by, by listing the pressures that the one attacking him was under. You see, this is the gentleness of wisdom that comes from God. It is not the response in a retaliatory way, but it is, it is a response of meekness and, and humility. It is that divine response that God gives us even in that moment that doesn't seek to breed more disunity, but seeks to meekly, um, humbly respond even to those who would slander, even to those who would provoke. And this gentleness of wisdom makes allowances for the weakness of others and takes the moral height of God. I, I think about this wisdom from above and, and this wisdom from above then begins to look at the heart of an individual or at least attempt to and see the, the, the hand of God in their life. It seeks to nourish that. This is reasonable. The wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, it's, it's reasonable. That means open to wisdom. It doesn't mean that the person is swayed by any and every argument that comes their way, but willing to yield. They are persuadable. They're not ones who think they know it all and cannot learn, but they are humble, they are reasonable, and they're full of mercy and Compassion and James really highlights this mercy toward others living in a way that we exercise mercy. For he says in chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, this wisdom that comes from above, it, it's tremendous. It is a wisdom that we can pattern our lives by. It is a wisdom that we can seek to live by. It's unwavering. It is without hypocrisy. There is no false representation here. Our words and our actions, our conduct and the things we say match. 
for those who are walking in wisdom. See, wisdom is as much about our conduct as it is about our words. You see the source of true wisdom? The source of true wisdom is that it comes down from above. It's that antithesis that we see between verses 15 to 17. The opposite of which is that which the, the, the wisdom from above is different than the wisdom that is earthly. It's unspiritual, this wisdom that's earthly. It's unspiritual, but the wisdom from above is spirit-filled. And it's demonic versus divine. J, uh, Paul in Colossians 3, one says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right? These seeking the things above where Christ is. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For James, the presence of wisdom is similar to the presence of the Spirit. And it takes great dependency upon God. In verse 18, he says, the result of true wisdom, the result of true wisdom is that He uh, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is, the way of God is the way of peace. It is not the way of disorder and confusion. And in this passage, James shows us everything that is antithetical to the way of the world and the way of God. The wisdom that is from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's full of mercy, it's unwavering, it's not hypocritical. It is wanting to exercise mercy toward others. And the result of true wisdom is a harvest of righteousness through the peace of Christ. In the life of a believer, a harvest, the fruit of this wisdom in your life and in my life The fruit of this wisdom from above of God is righteousness in our lives. Simply put, believer, to walk according and obediently to the word of God, fleshing that out in our life, obeying and walking. This is the wisdom of God and it promotes righteousness in our lives. And what happens as we walk in the righteousness of Christ? There is peace. Not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ. We don't quench the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We follow God in everything. We submit our lives to Him. You see, true wisdom doesn't manifest itself in uh, in disorder or in confusion. It doesn't manifest itself in bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. True wisdom manifests itself in, in good deeds and humility in meekness toward one another. I pray that today as we consider God's word, we would recognize it's possible for the Christian to live and to operate his or her life through the wisdom of the world and miss God's way. It's possible for you and me. It's possible for us to do that. I pray, though, that you and I will will see that God's way is better, that we will submit to him We'll pursue Him, not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. What implications in your life and in my life 
does God's word have when we consider how we are walking in the conduct of our living? How we are pursuing him in everything that we do? What implication does God's word have in your life? How, how are we submitting to him? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning as we consider God's word that we would be a people who seek to walk in wisdom, walk in the wisdom of his word and the wisdom that which comes down from above, not that which we can produce in and of our own selves, but that which truly comes down from above. Let us pray. Father, as we take your word and seek to apply it in our lives today, tomorrow, throughout the week, and seek to live our, li- our lives by your word, I, I pray that you would continue to teach us, continue, Lord, to use your word to challenge us and to, to shape and fashion us, to mold us into your likeness and your glory. And, Lord, we beg of you that you would teach us how to walk in the wisdom that which is from above not that which is earthly or natural or unspiritual and demonic, but, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you and not to oscillate back and forth, but, Lord, to walk by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you give us a hunger for your Word, a desire to know you and to, a desire to walk with you daily. Lord, make us, make us quick to respond to you. Make us sensitive, Holy Spirit, to your prompting Make us desiring of your will and your way. And guard our hearts, O Lord Jesus. Guard our mouths that we might not speak any false way, but that we would walk in truth. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning. Maybe spend time in prayer of how the Lord is challenging you today. And if you need to use these steps as an altar, certainly you can do that to just... Uh, be in prayer before the Lord this morning.
turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will to transition to our offering at this time. If you're visiting with us, we don't ask you to give, but we just ask everyone to gather with your family or with friends near you and to pray that these offerings would be used to expand God's kingdom and his glory among all the nations. And when you're ready, you're welcome to bring your offering forward to these baskets on the front steps. Thank you. <laughs> 